Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name's Matt Brusky. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is with us. Rebecca, good to see you. Good to be here, Matt. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Robert, good to see you. Good day, everyone. Yeah, it's good to see anybody. I've been out sick the last two days. I'm actually still quite a bit under the weather, but it's it's good to be here. It's been a very busy and interesting week. We have a number of things we're going to talk about, and so we're going to get right to it because we're going to popcorn through a number of topics. Um, but we have to start just touching in on the national uh, impeachment situation. Folks know we record Thursday morning, and Wednesday was... I mean, it's a pretty historic day. Um, it was a major ratcheting up of the Trump and the cons very conservative forces. Um, what happened yesterday was during the impeachment hearings where a senior Defense Department official, uh, Laura Cooper, was testifying about a dozen very conservative House... Two dozen, I hear. Two dozen, excuse me, you're right, two dozen um, House members. These would be very conservative House members stormed in to these meetings and essentially shut them down for five hours. Um, there's we're, we're not even going to spend any time talking about like the details of this because it's just wrong. But I want to get to uh, the panel's response. I see this as the first really big step in towards kind of a fascism is sort of a strong word. But this is a really this is a chance to try to intimidate, to go in and bully and, and interrupt a process that both Republicans and Democrats have been engaged in. And, you know, there may be disagreements about the facts, but at least a, a fair process that is within the Constitution. Um, and you essentially have uh, thugs coming in and just trying to shut this down and yelling and screaming. Um, and it's not like these are just regular folks who don't have access to the process who are, you know, using direct action. These are House members. Rebecca, your first thoughts. So we were talking about this before the show, and we were kind of grappling with this general tactic that, you know, Democrats or progressives sometimes will use when it comes to policy or when it comes to some kind of action that's taking action. place. Yeah, direct action. Um, that's not exactly what this was. And right. so I've been thinking, you know, as we've been setting up here, you know, how to how to establish what the difference is. And I think for me, one of the biggest differences is something that you touched on, Matt, which is um, that it's it's having us creep towards fascism. And particularly, you know, this is not a bill that's moving forward. It's not a policy that's being debated. This is the constitutional duty of Congress. It is an official investigation. Beyond that, it's a closed door uh, testimony from which it seems several Republicans might have been tweeting from that closed door room compromising who knows what kinds of security. Um but so so that to me is really interesting. And it is um, just like I think you might have said a ratcheting up. But if you didn't, a ratcheting up of the rhetoric and tactics that we've seen thus far to undermine our democracy, both faith in our democracy and the like ways, the mechanics of it. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I, I'm looking at a quote right here from Congressman Steve Scalise, Scalise. And he, he's the majority leader, yeah. so he's not just some backbencher. But he's, he's very conservative, two. just to be yeah. clear. Yeah. The number two Republican in the House, yeah. And, and he says, Democrats are running a Soviet-style process. 
that should not be allowed in the United States. And so just to take a step back and listeners will know this, but like to set the table, this is a process established in the Constitution and both Democrats and Republicans have equal time. Both Democrats and Republicans have been questioning witnesses. This is in its investigatory phase. There's nothing Soviet or like anti-democratic about it. In fact, it's like hyper-democratic. This is like a core function of our constitutional democracy, right? And so, you know, they're trying to, to cast um, aspersions and undermine faith in like, our core democratic functions. And that really frightens me. And then to do this, to storm into this closed door room, to disrupt uh, this testimony, obviously could intimidate witnesses, make it harder for people to come forward. Um, But just generally is like really trying to like force a cog in the wheels of the things that make the the small D democracy of this country function. I know, Robert, what do you think? Well, first of all, and feel free to contact me if you disagree. At him. Robert.gray <laughs> at citizenactionwi.org. Tweet at me. It is part of the far-right character, not just in the United States, but historically and globally, to bully. And this is a very different thing than progressives who display opposition to something where people are not being heard, right? This is that Their argument they're not being heard is completely made up. This is about trying to disrupt processes, and it reminds me of the way Republican staffers disguised as citizens during the Florida recount in 2000 literally rioted and shut down and stopped the county, I believe it was in Palm Beach, Florida. This is is part of this character, and it's not all conservatives, but your far-right variety that's proto-fascist. And we are... In, in countries that actually experienced fascism, it started with this. It started with political movements that bullied people on the streets. Yep. My grandfather was in Germany in the late 20s and in the mid-30s when it was worse, and the Nazis were already bullying people on the streets and endangering them in, like, 1927, uh, just for example. And that, that's, that's, the kind, that's the kind of stuff. And we saw that with Act 10 out, out in the, a lot of the state a lot of public employees felt bullied and intimidated within their communities. And that happened. And they had to lie about the protests, which were incredibly peaceful, right, and make up that they were riotous. That's number one. Number two, this is a tactic you use when the facts are not on your side. All they have to do is to challenge the process, and they feel like their process arguments are getting enough leverage, so now we will act out in this way to draw attention to our alleged process arguments. Now, Rekha already laid it out, but their process arguments are a complete sham. Uh, Impeachment's different than a criminal court um, uh, because it it, doesn't have to be a crime. High crimes and misdemeanors are political crimes. doesn't matter what the statute says. We talked about that last week. But it is uh, somewhat parallel to a grand jury process that leads to a trial. In a grand jury process, you don't have a right to come interrogate witnesses and intimidate them or anything like that. It's about getting the evidence out. In addition, you have a national security issue here because it's about our foreign policy. And by the way, modern American conservatives don't give a damn about foreign policy and national security um, if it conflicts with their power interests, period. But when it's Democrats in charge and everything's about, remember last week, we haven't mentioned it, Hillary is totally exonerated on the emails, having any leak of any classified information of any kind. Of course, that it was irrelevant and was they managed to get covered massively in the 2016 election, probably helping flip the election. 
And so we just got to remember that the facts are on their side and they're devastating. They could either come out in a devastating way and they're going to have plenty of right to debate this on the floor. And then in the Senate, it's a literal set up like a trial and they're going to have and the Trump side is going to get every opportunity to scrutinize every piece of evidence against the president. And so this is just absurd. It's an attempt to disrupt a process which they know is not going well yeah. because the facts are not on their side. The, and the day before was a horrible day for them, right, just yeah. in terms of the testimony and. Um, there were Republicans on the committee reportedly gasping and just like at the evidence and just oh, and Trump yeah. urged them to do this. Yes, right okay. at the White House. Well, and so okay. what I think is so interesting about that is what you mentioned, Robert, about the Senate. Tr you know, I, I, we have um, the the Republican Congressman Matt Gates. Is it Gates? I don't know who led the charge of these two dozen congressmen storming storming the gates. Here said that the impeachment inquiries were attempting to quote overturn the results of the U.S. election, which, by the way, the entire reason we have this in our Constitution and the ability yeah. to have impeachment is to not have that happen, right? And, like, this is... A, but if we have someone in office who's committed high crimes and misdemeanors, what do you do, right? So this is, like, from our founders. But They wouldn't have ratified the Constitution without it. Totally. They thought there had to be a way because a tyrant could be reelected. Totally. Okay? Totally. Um, but so that said, it still has to go to the Senate, where Republicans have considerable power in the Senate. And so what are they afraid of? They're not actually afraid of, quote, overturning the results and Trump getting kicked out of office. Not yet. They're afraid of more information They're coming out. They're trying to out. shut down the investigation. Correct. Because right. the information is devastating. The stuff that came out the day before, as I was mentioning, was devastating. And so, you know, that's why they went to this tactic. Not that they weren't already planning for this because they saw where this was going, but... Hey, look, I wanted us to talk about you it. You have because to worry about Trump if he's removed. You know, agreeing yep. to removal. You have to worry about if this. We're already they're already escalating very far. So, what's next is the question. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of folks are expecting we're going to have a government shutdown because we're headed in that area, and Trump's going to be looking for more chaos and disorder. Because we know those shutting the government down is not popular, but this isn't about popularity anymore. It's about fear, intimidation, all of that disorder. Um, yeah. Can I Before just we also? We, we got to run, but you got. I'm going to point out that this also proves their interest in the Constitution is a sham as well, unless it can be used to justify their power interests. That they use the Constitution, torture it, to apply it to modern conditions. It never was never intended. But the basic framework that applies here—that is, how do you deal with an executive that is out of control, is abusing their power—is as true now as it was in the late 18th century, and they're happy to ignore it when it's in their freaking power interest. And with that, we are going to take our first break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Foxconn. Foxconn is back in the news, and I'm sure it's got to be good news. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. This segment, we are going to talk about Foxconn. Uh, yesterday, Wednesday, the news broke that the famous Foxconn Innovation Centers, innovation, innovation, uh, are going to be on hold. Uh, and for folks who do not remember the Innovation Centers, uh, when Foxconn was rolled out as it was becoming more unpopular, uh, Foxconn and Governor Walker, to much fanfare, including multiple, multiple statewide tours, uh, went around and released information that Foxconn would be having these innovation centers in Eau Claire, in Green Bay, in Milwaukee. You pick the city, they were probably going to uh, throw up a press conference and tell you that um, 
that they were going to have an innovation center. Well, yesterday it was it, it was announced that these these are on hold. Um, and by the way, nothing's really happened in any of these. There's been previous stories no where people have gone on, and huh? taken photos of the empty innovation centers. But um, folks, people they promised 150, 200 jobs in each one of these cities. These were all part of selling this and getting people to feel that this was bigger than just one project in Pleasant Prairie, that there were going to be supply lines from La Crosse and Eau Claire and Wausau and Rhinelander and Superior and Door County. Everybody was getting in on the Foxconn train. Well, you know what? You did. We all got in on the con. Uh, it can, it's just continuing to play out, Robert. I'm going to say that the only innovation in the Foxconn Innovation Centers, and I do favor Representative Brostoff's The Foxconn as its official name, right? Uh, the innovation was a public relations innovation and a political innovation, basically a legal campaign contribution to Scott Walker, legal now anyway. And so they were never intended. You know, there was a famous uh, minister to Peter the Great, uh, Potemkin, who, when Peter the Great was trying to impress Europeans about Russia and brought them in, uh, set up fake prosperous villages of serfs to try to make Russia look advanced when Russia was extremely backward and their economic conditions were deplorable, even compared to Europe's, which were not great at the time. And so literally, these are fake, right? They're fake all along. And we know that Foxconn is only going to stay here uh, most likely, as long as Trump is president, nope, they thirteen thirteen thousand jobs are still. It was be for Walker, and if there was any basis for this great play and all this job creation, why isn't it happening? We have a very strong economy right now, so why isn't it happening now? What would be the delay other than the whole thing has been political from the start, and so it's just embarrassing. And the folks who are not. Uh, Trump or Walker apologists who who are good people need to stop shilling for this thing. It's just an embarrassment. Yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting. In October of 2018 is when, uh, you know, the WIDAC uh, leadership was in Racine announcing the Racine Innovation Center, which we're told by uh, the mayor's office there is on hold and oh. that if it were to open, there would certainly be a big grand opening event. So. Oh you haven't heard about it it means it's not happening um and also around the same time of late fall 2018 is when the green bay project was supposed to open and so go packers go innovation packers. center so i think you know to your point about the political aspect of this you know there's something really interesting about the timing of fall 2018 right that's when we had a really big election on the ballot was governor walker um who was you know instrumental in this huge tax giveaway to foxconn but it's not happening. I think we've seen a lot of things happen since then in terms of a change in governance, not only in Wisconsin, but also with Foxconn um, and, and changes that are happening there. So it's kind of interesting. I, I don't have any reason to believe that these will open, but, but who knows? Do you, do you notice the difference between, because Democrats certainly were not for the Foxconn, uh, the Republicans and Walker, when they took power, immediately canceling the high-speed train, Right. Versus Governor Evers, who has constructively tried to deal with the handies dealt and figure out how to make this work within the contract, right? And they're still going to yell and scream when this doesn't happen that it's all Evers' fault. I mean, when the whole thing was a charade from the beginning, I, I like to harken back to this, to the damn 12-hour hearing 
that I uh, participated in at the beginning, this was all clear. And remember, every business leader in the state stepped up and every higher education leader to say how wonderful this would be. It's not wasn't just Walker. The whole damn establishment, I sound like Bernie Sanders, I'm talking about damn things, uh, that the whole damn establishment was for this and they need to be held accountable too. Our next topic that we want to talk about here uh, at the state level sort of broke later last week over the weekend, and that was that Governor Evers uh, called a special session on guns. I, in particular, really wanted to get them to focus on background checks, some very basic stuff, uh, stuff that, you know, 70-80% of Wisconsinites support. Um, got a lot of immediate press about it. Did a, Went to Eau Claire. I know uh, our member Rita was involved in that press conference. They were here in Milwaukee. They were around the state. Uh, it did not take long for the cold water reality of Senator Fitzgerald, who I'll remind you is running for Congress, to come out and immediately say that this will be dead on arrival. He'll gavel it in and gavel it out. There'll be no hearings. There'll be no discussion. Because, you know, the 80% of Wisconsinites compound sand, Rebecca. Yeah, I just want to kind of read this quote from Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes member of both Citizen Action and the Working Families Party, uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes said, quote, it's time for us to realize the devastation of what firearms in the wrong hands are doing to our communities. But it's more than that. It's time for us to act. And so, you know, what Governor Evers and his administration are putting forward and leaders throughout, you mentioned the, the press conferences throughout the state, local leaders throughout Wisconsin are saying is it's time for us to act. And here are concrete proven things that we can do to keep all our communities safe. And, uh, you know, I, every time there's a mass shooting, we talk about it on the show. And every time we you know, aren't, don't have necessarily high hopes that there's going to be change. But this is something that, you know, it's, it's great to see at the highest levels that leadership is putting forward. However, I don't know, Robert or Matt, if either of you want to talk about the however, but here we are. Well... I'm just curious, our Battleground Wisconsin listeners are very well versed, uh, if there's any precedent for a legislative body's treating a governor and the people of the state so disrespectfully because you have a position that is the majority position by far, uh, a governor is generally given the right to call a special session and therefore cause a discussion of an issue, we're not even going to discuss it. And by the way, it's a little bit like the impeachment thing. The facts are on their side. There's no advantage to them discussing it, which is the problem, which is why he's calling a special session. And so it just shows more disrespect for the institutions of, our, of, 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 of democracy. And again, it's another power grab from the governor. The governor doesn't even have the rhetorical power to cause them to debate an issue of tremendous public concern. Well, obviously, kudos to the governor for continuing to push this issue. We want to encourage our listeners to contact your state legislators. They need to hear from you. They need to know that you support and know that you're watching on this. It's important um, that they do continue to hear from us. And this is this is a big issue, as Robert mentioned. The it whole just, thing about not having hearings on Democratic bills has not been a, 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 a really addressed since the early right-wing dominance after Walker won, but they don't even allow issues to get discussed in the legislature. No, when uh, it reminds me, Robert, back when in my early days... You know, we used to go have hearings all the time on bills that didn't go anywhere, right? That we knew were, like, we would hope for a hearing, and then a hearing would be a big deal because it would be an opportunity to really get get it out and have conversations. Republicans Jeez. used to have 
hearings yes, and the aught all the time. I've testified in front of Steve Noss as right as Attila the Hun many times, but they decided once Walker was elected, we won't even have hearings in a bill we don't like. We should just have people's hearings. And they don't have to be chaired by legislature legislators because I imagine there's some kind of like um, caucusing issue if they're all in the same room. But like we should just hold our own hearings if they're not going to hold them. Rebecca, that's a fabulous idea. <laughs> um, we, we we need we'll ruminate on that and think more. We'll no, we'll think How more about, about that. People's idea. budget. No, I'm just <laughs> can I? Well, mention, oh, yeah, sorry. No, go go. Oh, just like one other state yeah. thing before the segment ends. Um, last week after we taped the show, Governor Evers signed a, I think it was an executive order to create a climate task force, which yes. is being led by Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, and so super excited um, about the leadership coming out of the governor's office on lots of things. Uh, certainly safety, but but also climate and really thrilled to see uh, the lieutenant governor leading this. I know that he's been super passionate his entire career around environment and climate, and it's just so important. So I don't know if anyone had any hot takes, but I just want to make sure I shout out Well, just that. thank goodness there's a existential threat to the species, uh, number one. Number two, it dovetails with what uh, Citizen Action members are doing in Milwaukee by creating the city-county climate and economic equity task force and what Citizen Action members do in Eau Claire with their paid planning process to develop a climate plan and what our members are also doing in our new Driftless Area Co-op. So I, before we go to break, I briefly want to mention one other bill that probably will need one of Rebecca's public hearings in order to be heard. And that was a bill that was introduced on Tuesday, and a big shout-out to uh, Janice Ringhand and Representative uh, Pope. Uh, also, uh, State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski, who was there, and a whole slew of women, mothers, other folks coming to fight for paid leave for Wisconsin. This is both a state push. There's also federal legislation, but this week a bill was introduced. This is something where basically employees would contribute to a pool that was run by the state so that when you were sick and you were out of sick time or you needed to uh, take a long period off to care for a family or loved one, that you would be able to do that and not have to put your uh, economic opportunity and just, you know, you know, uh, at risk. And, and go a lot of jobs with no paid leave whatsoever. And there's service sector jobs that a lot of parents are in. So shout out to nine to five and a lot of other groups that have done some great work around that. Um, so with that, though, we got to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, the Chicago teacher strike. We're going to talk back a little more presidential politics. And hey, Robert, there was a new MU poll. Can't wait to hear what you got to say. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. I'm Matt Brusky, and I'm sick, <laughs> but enjoying. It's good to be in the office and talking Wisconsin politics, we actually need to talk about something that's occurring just to the south of us. Last week on Thursday, when we recorded, the Chicago teachers walked out, went on strike. Um, and this is a really, really important strike. It is on the heels of the UAW strike, which likewise we've had uh, folks on talking about. Um, this Chicago strike is critical because they're not just striking for you know their own wages and benefits and working conditions. This is really a fight about much broader things, like making sure that every child has access to health care and a nurse in their school, making sure that there's adequate housing for the for the students and for the for the uh, uh, employees of the Chicago uh, school system, which is a huge issue. So a number of other issues that are not what you might consider directly wages and benefits are being taken on uh, in this strike. And 
um, before I go to comment, um, the other just more broadly, you know, we have a fairly tight labor market right now, and this is a, a, an important time for organized workers. Uh, there is leverage, and it is good to see that workers are standing up and uh, exercising this power. Rebecca. Yeah, I everything you said is true. Also, I was just trying to quickly look it up. I don't have the information in front of me, but a, co a key component of the platform of the workers who are striking is not even necessarily about teacher pay, but about pay for the lowest paid people in the system. And it's a kind of solidarity um, among workers that you love to see. And it's something that, you know, a little bit closer to home in Milwaukee, you know, currently negotiating new salary schedules. And we're talking about huge increases for the lowest paid people in the Milwaukee public school system that will change lives, really. And I think, you know, that's something that often gets overlooked when we talk about funding for public schools as it relates to the pay of workers, that there aren't just teachers who work in these schools. There are a lot of people, some of them who get paid very poorly to do, you know, full-time work. So really um, amazed by the power and solidarity of CTU. And just wanted to like quickly shout out that I was super happy to see our endorsed presidential candidate, Elizabeth Warren, on the strike line um, where she should be as a former public educator. But anyone running for president right now should be on all the picket and strike lines along with um, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Robert, I know this is personal. I think your brother works in the Chicago public schools. Am I right? Uh, no. Not anymore. Chicago okay. area. Oh, Chicago area. That, Got remember you. Remember they... In Chicago, a lot of the inner city schools are in the suburbs. It's very different than Milwaukee. So he live, works in a suburb, Bellwood. But be that as it may, do you know? Do you notice how a lot of folks, even good government folks on the left, try to throw unions and corporations in the same bucket as special interests? But you ever see a corporation um, hold something up for the common good, right? Hold thing up, things up to improve education for 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 our our, our children, especially our poorest and most disadvantaged oh, children. Zuckerberg's making these arguments in front of Congress. This He's week. like oh. threatening uh, threatening to pull out of the stock market unless something <laughs> is done about paid family leave, if only, yeah, right? Right, right. And so I'm just pointing out that uh, unions are part of social movements that are about the common good and about lifting up all people and are not just selfish things. Corporations used to have broader goals. They used to be originally chartered in the public interest. That's why you had a corporation historically. And up until the 80s, they actually had a fiduciary responsibility to employees and to society. And it was right-wing judges and politicians in the Reagan administration decided that the only thing that mattered was value to shareholders. So just remember that. Remember that they only care about value to shareholders now, even if it's something like I don't know, threatening the whole species with climate change, just for example. So again, shout out solidarity to uh, the Chicago teachers and other workers that are in the process of either being on strike or considering uh, strike. With that, I want to change topics. We, I do want to talk about the Marquette poll because it has some, it's always sort of some of the best information, at least to sort of track and see trends that are happening here. Um, but before I do that, I do want to mention uh, that Citizen Action, we're a part of People's Action, our one of our national networks, um, which is, we've talked about it before, conducting a really um, thorough presidential uh, process where we've had forums in uh, a couple places, including Iowa, where we have sent uh, almost 50 Citizen Action members to. And this Saturday, there'll be another forum in Las Vegas, Nevada, with presidential candidates. Want to encourage folks to watch it. We'll live stream it. Uh, from our Facebook page, I believe it'll be starting at 2 o'clock. 
Saturday. Uh, and so I want to encourage folks to watch that. But also, we are surveying our members, surveying folks in Wisconsin about their presidential candidate uh, preference. And so we're asking folks to participate in that survey. Obviously, if you're a member, um, we'll have a link to that on our website. want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to go vote, uh, we are asking for your top three choices. We're going to do a little rank choice to try to get a better sense of where folks are at, uh, provide more information for our leadership board about uh, where our members are at. So please do that. Um, but want to talk about the Marquette poll. Let's start with uh, the presidential race, which is of great interest. Um, there's nothing shocking in the poll other than to say this remains still, you know, an ostensibly close state. Um, Biden continues, and all of this is within the margin of error, so I don't want to get too excited about these numbers, but Biden continues to hold a, a, a lead over um, Trump. Likewise, Sanders does. Likewise, Warren does. Uh, Buttigieg, no, a little bit behind. But nonetheless... Um, one other really important piece of data related to the presidential is uh, they looked at the Democratic primary and whether you would be voting in the Democratic primary. Uh, it is a close race. Biden has on first choice, I think it was 27-24 over Warren. 31-24 first choice. 31-24, thank you for pulling it out. Uh, but on second choice, Warren, if I'm correct, Robert, you got it right in front 27, of you. 27, so, so yeah, and there you go. And since those can't all be Biden, there's, she may well be in the lead if you take out the other candidates. Uh, if she comes down to her in Biden. And Sanders obviously continues to also run strong. So we're continuing to see between what I would describe as the two real left sort of progressive candidates uh, holding very strong numbers in the state. Um, but Elizabeth is clearly uh, gaining momentum. Um, and I think increasingly uh, Buttigieg trying to pr pr position himself to take over if Biden yep. falters. Very clearly. You saw that in the debates. We didn't get a chance to talk about it. But going after Warren on middle class taxes and Medicare for all and really starting to sound like, you know, the next Bill Clinton, um, you know, just kind of younger and different uh, instead of the South. He's from Indiana. And, and gay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, it is a different package, but we're starting to see. Uh, that he is representing a lot of sort of those those older policies. And clearly, Robert, I would agree with you, and we're going to go to Rebecca, um, clearly yeah. trying to, if Biden stumbles, I want to be the person. There was an article this week in the New York Times that talked about how big centrist Democratic donors are casting their eyes around for possible additional candidates to be late entrants into the race. And I think it's mm -hmm. a recognition that Biden is a deeply flawed candidate, and it's a recognition that uh, the surging candidate, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, poses like a deep existential threat to like, you know, like amassed like unjust wealth in this country. Or the folks that like wasted the Great Recession and and, and bail out the banks and not average people. Yeah. And yeah. not people of color, right? Who, yeah. who ran the Obama economic policy, right? They're not ready to give up the reins of control over our government. And so I don't know if we'll see any late entrance, but to me that was um, a really interesting indicator have that you, Senator Warren's doing very well. Have you well. seen who they're floating as late entrants? I saw a few people. I saw Eric Holder still thinking about it. Um, Hillary continues to come I up. I cannot And even. then they're still trying to get Oprah. 
Oh gosh, and there was someone else too. I know we're kind of coming up against yeah, the break here. Of all of those, look, Oprah would be a, would would certainly oh. be a. It would shake things up. Oh, Sherrod Brown. Sherrod Brown. Yeah, I would. Yeah. He's not going to get traction. traction. Oprah would shake things up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why she'd want to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I would just say that as far as Marquette Paul, I mean, the problem is the over obsession with it, the too much media coverage, and the problem that polls, when they're too too followed, become forces. That, that convince people of things. People said, oh, this is what people think, so now I think that, which is not a very healthy thing. But if we want it's to called take, the bandwagon effect, Robert. Yeah, if we wanted to take that, that seriously, then all we have to do is, I think we could save ourselves a lot of time and money, that Biden is uh, going to win the nomination, he's going to beat Trump in Wisconsin, let's just declare the electoral votes and put it's and, and it's not done. Go, it's done and not go through all of this. I mean, I, I do think, like Matt said, that polls are useful in like demonstrating trends, trends if, you, yep. if you take it with a real grain of salt. And what we've been seeing for months and months now is Biden declining, but still holding strong, and Elizabeth Warren surging. And I think the who is your second choice question in such a crowded primary is like especially important. And I think to see that uh, Senator Warren is like quite a few people second choice um, is is a real show of strength. And Bernie not tanking, Bernie holding quite strong as to where he is, um, I would say. And then the other thing is really most of the candidates on the stage being nowhere. And that's the other thing. They're mostly polling zero in Wisconsin, I mean, a way most of, of these folks. I will say a way of saying Bernie not tanking is Bernie not growing. But He's not growing, but I'm just saying that uh, there's, a, there's a strong 15 17% in every poll. You just have to take it seriously. That's uh, all. I'm not trying to advocate. You, guys, you guys can go back and forth for a while. I'm going to enjoy this. Um, I'll just lay out there, uh, Mayor Pete... Uh, not doing well in second choice, which gets back to your thing about party people getting very concerned. Because if he's supposedly going to be the guy with the rain bucket waiting for when Biden starts, you know, storming and going out, uh, it doesn't look like he's getting most of those votes. Elizabeth, the problem uh, is, is that he is nowhere with people of color. I and, mean, he's and with a completely that, white candidate. I, and <laughs> with that, we are going to take a break. When we get back. Um, we're going to be joined by a Citizen Action Co-op member and new county board member in Eau Claire, Zoe Roberts, to talk about a really exciting uh, resolution passed in the city of Eau Claire this week. You are listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before we welcome our, our guest, um, wanted to talk a little bit more about our People's Action endorsement process that we're conducting and want to remind folks, um, we really want you to go and uh, fill out our survey. We're asking you for your top three choices right now in the Democratic presidential primary. Uh, if you go to our website uh, for, for the podcast, we'll have a link there where you can go vote. Um, really want to try to find out where our membership is so that uh, Citizen Action's board and our leaders can have a better understanding of um, where everybody's at. Uh, it's the only poll that our organization cares about. So uh, to, to make fun of polling there. Um, so please uh, get on and do that. And also want to remind you, again, Saturday, uh, we have a, another forum, presidential forum from Las Vegas, Nevada. It will be streamed on our Facebook page. Um, I believe the streaming starts either at 2 or 3. I want to say the event, I think, gets really rolling at 3. 
Um, so uh, feel free to jump on and watch that uh, Saturday afternoon again from Las Vegas. So, But again, please make sure you vote. But with that, we are going to uh, have an interview and a discussion here with one of our uh, co-op members, Zoe Roberts, who is uh, in our Northwestern Wisconsin co-op member. And more importantly, just recently, I want to say it was a week ago, got appointed uh, to the Eau Claire County Board. Um, but uh, this week had uh, big news around a resolution that the city of Eau Claire passed. So with that, let us welcome in Zoe Roberts. So we are really excited again to have our Citizen Action member, Zoe Roberts. And Zoe uh, just, again, just got appointed uh, recently this month to the Eau Claire County Board. And this week had a huge victory that uh, we want to talk more about. Zoe Roberts, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome, Matt. Well, first of all, obviously, congratulations on uh, your appointment to the county board and uh, this huge victory this week. So this week, the uh, Eau Claire uh, uh, City Council passed a resolution that uh, essentially set up the week of November 14th through the 20th to be Transgender Awareness Week. Tell us a little bit more about uh, this, this huge news, Zoe. Well, Transgender Awareness Week is a week for transgender people to be active in the community and raise awareness um, to our daily lives. So it's really kind of about creating awareness within the community and bringing them into, you know, our world so that they can relate to us better. So give, give us an example of something that you think uh, is really important for regular folks who maybe are less aware of the transgender community that you're hoping that this week will really help with? Well, I'm hoping that this week is going to help people just become aware uh, that we face different issues in our, in our lives. Um, we face discrimination in our jobs. We face, face discrimination in education, um, housing, and so many other things. And really the biggest thing is, I want people to not be afraid of the transgender community or not feel awkward around us because, honestly, we're just regular people. And you mentioned uh, just some of the, let's say, discrimination that transgender folks face. Um, talk more about that because that, you know, if, if we're going to have equality, right, everybody should have equal opportunity mm -hmm. to all aspects of, 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 of life. And that's just not the case right now. And, and, and talk more about that. Okay. So we're going to take healthcare, for example. In healthcare, 42% of transgender people have a problem finding quality care for not only their condition, but just in general. Um, hospitals and clinics oftentimes misgender people. So instead of using the actual gender, say, I'm a, I'm a trans female, because my ID might, might still at a certain point say male, because I haven't had the affidavit to change that written by the doctor, um, they tend to misidentify us and mistreat us in ways um, that the general population doesn't face. Uh, for example, um, in healthcare, when I go to my doctor, I go to a specialized clinic, and I have to travel to do that. Now, I have to, uh, have to drive from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, to Minneapolis, Minnesota, to get that healthcare that I need at the University of Minnesota. So I can't, I can't even come, uh, go to a doctor locally in order to satisfy that need. 
Yeah, that's a critical issue. I mean, healthcare is so deeply personal for everyone um, and so vital to, you know, your ability to basically, you know, stay healthy and, and be active in society. That, that's a critical issue. Um, you know, I want to talk about one other thing on here. You mentioned, too, that it looks like in addition to the week that there's going to be a transgender day of remembrance, which... Um, t- talk more about this. This sounds actually um, really important in terms of getting folks to understand um, some of the, you know, let's face it, life and death uh, situations that uh, transgender folks face. Okay. Um, transgender Day of Remembrance is really about uh, honoring the lives of those transgender people that were lost during the course of the year, um, specifically to murder. Now, most of that is gun violence. Um, and unfortunately, this year there have been 20, 21 plus. Um, it, it's arguable depending upon which source you use. Anyways, uh, essentially what we're doing is we're going to read those names. We're going to have some speeches before reading those names. We're going to read those names, and then really we're going to honor them by doing that, their memory. A lot of these people that are murdered are transgender women of color between the ages of 17 and 30 this year. So these are young people that aren't even really getting uh, the opportunity to really live their lives. They're just gone in a flash. And one of the questions that always pops into my mind when I read the stories on Facebook or in the news is, you know, what, what might have this person gone on to do? Uh, Could they have come up with something great scientifically? Could they have been a breakthrough artist, you know, what might they have done had they been given the opportunity to live? So, Zoe, I assume this will this will start this year, right? So November 14th through the 20th is Transgender Awareness yep. Week, and then the Day of Remembrance is on the 20th, correct? Yep, that's right. So um, for folks who may be listening and saying, well, you know, this shouldn't just be in Eau Claire— Talk a little bit more about the organizing work that goes into uh, getting something like this done. And and obviously, I'm sure you'd love to see other folks if they were interested uh, uh, doing this in other communities. I would love to see other folks in other communities do this. Um, actually, GLAD is a great resource for it or Human Rights Campaign. Um, other communities, though, are starting to do it and they are starting to recognize it, but it's not held in every community. Um you have, you have to have strong leadership in order to organize an event like this and put it on, and that's what it takes. Um, we're fortunate in Eau Claire. We have myself and Laura and Brianna Stanley is a, is a great organizer that, that is in charge of the Chippewa Valley LGBTQ Center and also the main organizer for Citizen Action of Wisconsin here locally. So we, we have a very strong trio of people that we can rely on in order to do this, not to mention we have ties with Joe Luganville and the state, uh, state theater and community center. So by using all of those ties and bringing a, a group of people together, we can organize and put on an, on an event to raise awareness like this and to remember those folks that died. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about teamwork. It's about effort and it's about having a drive and a motivation to push forward into the unknown. Well, uh, that's, that's really uh, actually profound. I, I gotta say, you know, when I when I go visit Eau Claire and and when I read about it, uh, the organizing that you just referenced there, lots of folks working together across communities and having some actual organizations. You mentioned Human 
uh, uh, human rights campaign and others, uh, provides the kind of organizing infrastructure that can make this happen. Plus, y'all been working a number of cycles now on electing folks, you know, well, like yourself and others up there. Uh, you mentioned Laura Benjamin on the uh, who just recently, I, I believe, got elected to the city council. Uh, this is yes. this is the critical work that we all need to be doing in our communities that can allow something like this, that allows to create the conditions where you can successfully pass something like this that's going to really help raise awareness. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. So if folks would like to get in touch with you, uh, to find out how they could potentially bring this to their community or something very similar? Uh, how should they get in touch with you? Um, they can send me an email at zoeroberts.ec1 at gmail.com. Well, Zoe, we really, first of all, uh, at Citizen Action, we're super proud of you and the organizing you've done. You've had a, you've had quite a month, um, and we look forward uh, to talking more with you down the road because we, we know you're going to do some great things, both on the council, but just as a leader in your community. And we really appreciate uh, not only your leadership, but that you took the time to join us today and tell us more about this uh, historic moment in Eau Claire. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate the time that you're giving me as well. So, Well, great. Well, Zoe, we will talk more. But with that, we have got to wrap up this edition of the Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank Zoe Roberts, our guest from Eau Claire, joining us. And also, as always, want to thank our producer, Brian Wolvich, who makes this podcast happen every week. And we will see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>